This is a Diet of Brussels. It's more extension time. Uh, yes, where are we? We're on uh, the morning of Thursday of the 11th of April. I'm looking back at the titles of previous episodes for this podcast and uh, I see that just 17 days ago I did an episode for you called Extensions and Endgames. I seem to recall that I talked there very much about how the first extension that was granted to the UK was uh, in essence the likely outcome but something that was going to be uh, part of just a final pulling together of this process. What is uh, abundantly clear this morning is that that is not necessarily the case. We had last night another long and unnecessarily painful European Council. And I say that uh, because uh, it was always clear that whilst you had differences of opinions around the table about the length and the nature of an extension to Article 50, it was always clear that nobody was prepared to block that extension happening. So quite why uh, the French decided to take such a aggressive line when there were really very clear limits on what they could get... <clears throat> they decided to to continue pursuing that in such a public way, which could only lead to the uh, mishmash uh, that we end up with uh, at this point. So we, we have another extension. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about that extension, what that means, uh, how that works, uh, and then just think a little bit about where this uh, leaves us all uh, as we career... Uh, or stagger towards Easter. So what does the the decision actually say? Well, the uh, decision that the European Council produced said that there is an extension to the Article 50 process until the end of October. But uh, if everyone gets their uh, acting gear then and does their ratifications uh, and wraps up the process sooner, then there can be an earlier uh, withdrawal date, uh, which would be on the first day of the month following the completion of the ratification, ratification process. Um, now, that's the, the kind of the headline goal. That's kind of the end point. But actually much more important than that in uh, all of this is uh, the language around trying to protect the EU's interests. That there's much more on that than there is on uh, the deadline. So there are a number of different uh, uh, mechanisms that get put in. And uh, again, here I think we can look to the French to have been uh, instrumental in trying to load in as much as possible uh, on that. Firstly, there is a hard mechanism which says that if the UK doesn't hold the European elections on the 23rd of May, then uh, the UK leaves on the 31st of May. Um, if you like, that's the uh, kind of way around the problem that uh, was envisaged last time round, which is that you might end up with a hard Brexit at the time of the European elections. This way, the UK could not hold elections, 
but uh, you wouldn't have the reality of a no-deal Brexit until uh, a few days later after everyone else has finished their voting. Now, that's a slightly uh, cynical way of looking at it, but actually it's not unreasonable. It allows uh, for the avoidance of some of the problems. Um, but uh, it's also clear that uh, there is not really an intention to, to use that uh, end of May mechanism. Secondly, there is a lot of language about the principle of sincere cooperation. Now, in essence, what this is, is uh, the notion that all member states need to uh, abide by the commitments that they have made under the treaties, that they have to work uh, in accordance with their obligations, and they can't uh, work it against those. Now, the big concern, uh, as embodied by the French, was that uh, the UK staying in would be a disruptive force, that uh, it would disrupt the formation of the new European Parliament, uh, its work on the approval of uh, a new commission president and a new commission, that there are budgetary decisions coming up, uh, there are bits of legislation coming through, all of which might prove to be a pain uh, if the, the British are... Uh, either acting uh, malevolently or just disruptively or chaotically. Now, uh, there is always going to be a limit on how much uh, the EU can ask of that. Uh, sincere cooperation also requires other member states to abide by their obligations. And one of the uh, things that is quite clear is that whilst the 27 represent the very large majority of the EU. They are not the EU per se. They are part of it. And they have to take the due consideration of the UK in their decisions, uh, in the way that the UK has to take, take account of them in its decisions and participation. So the UK as a member state necessarily, and the decision talks about this, retains its full set of rights and obligations as a member state as it did before. But in essence, there is a, a strong push to try and make sure that the UK isn't uh, trying to disrupt uh, uh, or obstruct the, the progress of uh, decision making within the organisation. The third element in terms of safeguarding is that there is a reaffirmation that there will be no renegotiation of the withdrawal agreement, there will be no start to future relationship talks, and uh, basically if the UK wants to change anything it's going to be the political declaration or nothing, which has been clear since the, the very beginning uh, of this round of uh, discussions. Uh, because there's no intention uh, on the part of the uh, EU to start getting into to all of that because uh, life is really far too short. And then finally, there is going to be a review in June of the whole process. Now, um, that's after the European elections. There's already a European Council there, so it's uh, something that will be uh, pre-programmed uh, and I think you can probably see this as an attempt to try and avoid the last minute nature of 
the discussions that we've had last night and a fortnight ago are on trying to, to find a way out of uh, all of this. So that the UK, whilst it has uh, six and a half months from now to sort itself out, uh, it really would be better if things got moved along. The UK says that they want to uh, move uh, along in their domestic processes. The EU would like them to do the same. And part of this is really just about keeping it uh, under scrutiny and reminding the UK that there is uh, still a ticking clock, uh, even if it now ticks to uh, a new end state. So the substance of what's in the decision is pretty much what we might have expected. Uh, quite a bit more time, some reminders that there are obligations that come to the UK, be that in terms of holding elections or fulfilling their treaty obligations, um, and uh, you know, a, a desire in implicitly that this just gets sorted out because uh, there's no great evidence that the EU enjoys this situation or is prepared to tolerate it indefinitely. But behind all that, I think what's really striking for me has been what isn't in uh, the decision and the conclusions, or indeed uh, Donald Tusk's statement uh, from last night, which is there is absolutely nothing at all in any of those about the need for the UK to have a plan to unblock its situation. Now, if you cast your mind back a couple of weeks ago, we had a lot of discussion from the European Council about the UK having to come forward with a plan if it wanted to unlock the uh, 22nd of May as a deadline, uh, a lot of uh, discussion in and around the formal sessions of the European Council uh, to the same effect. Basically, you've got to sort yourself out. We won't give you an extension uh, otherwise. And even yesterday, uh, all through uh, the day, you had French officials briefing that they couldn't give uh, an extension if there wasn't a, a firm plan. Now, from what we know from the presentation Theresa May gave to fellow leaders uh, during the European Council uh, yesterday afternoon. She was more concrete and less uh, woolly than she had been previously, uh, but still didn't really have anything beyond she was in talks with Labour, she had a plan to go back for indicative votes if that didn't work, and that was it. There wasn't really anything more. And when pressed, she had no... Uh, uh, further detail that she could provide. Now what's striking is that last time round, that failure to provide any detail, uh, and admittedly there was even less than there was this time, was part of the logic of going for the short extension model that uh, was uh, then adopted and for uh, taking a much stricter line than uh, the uh, officials involved had uh, anticipated. This time round, you saw none of that. You saw no criticism of Theresa May coming from the 27. You saw no real critique uh, or elaboration of the problem of not having developed something more uh, than she had since last time. And in essence, just this issue has been pushed, pushed to one side. Now that matters 
because that is a really big change in the way that the European Council has approached that. And that suggests maybe one of two things. Either the EU got so caught up in discussions uh, about uh, the safeguarding uh, that it simply forgot to mention anything about the need for the UK to sort itself out. Or there is something that is uh, akin to giving up trying to get anything out of the UK. Um, I, I think the latter is probably the more likely uh, because there was more than enough time and there was more than enough occasion uh, even with the discussion about safeguarding for the UK's responsibilities uh, in this to be uh, made more forcefully. Uh, and certainly just reading across the decision from last time with this time, you can see that there is uh, a real gap in uh, the approach that takes place. Now, if I'm being optimistic uh, about it, you might say, well, by not putting an onus on the UK for a plan, uh, that this is one less uh, condition that the UK has to meet, which means that if you have to go back for further extensions down the line, which is entirely possible, that then uh, there's one less thing you have to worry about. Uh, the pessimist uh, in me, uh, which tends to be rather dominant, uh, says that actually this is partly about giving up hope that the UK can sort this out and that uh, the autumn is going to see a lot more toughness going on, that the European elections will have happened, uh, there will be looming financial decisions uh, to be considered, and uh, this might be the point that maybe it's just uh, kinder to be uh, cruel, and that maybe we just cut off the line of uh, extension, and off we go. And so if you look at some of the framing of the language, there is slightly more finality about it that talks about uh, not in any case going past the 31st of October, even though uh, in the briefings afterwards it was evident that there was not a closing of the door to another extension uh, beyond that. All of this, I think, is going to be something which is going to carry on being uh, a really major uh, issue in this process because what we've got now is a mid-length extension. On the one hand, we had those who wanted a long extension, like the Germans, you may be talking about a year or until the end of the uh, calendar year, uh, plenty of time in which the UK would have lots of freedom to do any or all of the big things that might change its situation. A referendum, a general election, leadership challenge, all of the above, some combination thereof. The countervailing approach was the French one, which is just, this isn't moving, let's just give them as little time as possible to keep up the pressure uh, and off we go. And what we've got now is something that is a compromise. Uh, October was not really being talked about by anyone beforehand, uh, which suggests that it is a on-the-hoof bodge, uh, and probably to assuage the French that this wasn't just being left to go uh, off into the very long grass. Um, 
let's think about the implications of uh, the end of October. Um, so by that time, you would have had to have had UK uh, participation in European elections. Those MEPs would then have uh, to decide whether and how they are joining uh, political groups in the European Parliament. Uh, you'd have to assume that uh, Labour and Lib Dem MEPs would sit with their normal groups, the SD and ALDE, uh, respectively, which would make the SD quite a bit bigger uh, than would otherwise be the case, which might have an impact when uh, you get allocation of roles in the European Parliament from the President down to the chairs of committees resources, all the rest. It also means that British MEPs would be involved in the approval of a new commission president and in the uh, hearings to confirm the new uh, commission uh, itself, which would include uh, a commissioner from the UK who would then be have to given some kind of portfolio that uh, reflected their situation, which might be a polite way of saying they get something very unimportant or something that can be easily uh, passed over to uh, someone else uh, at the point that the UK leaves. Not least because uh, the end of October is just before the new commission takes office. So it may be that this new commissioner doesn't uh, actually ever get to uh, uh, exercise their duties, although we have to remember that if we're talking about further extensions, then they would. However, against that, the end of October is before you really have to negotiate and agree, or before you have to agree the uh, financial budget for 2020, which starts on the 1st of January. Uh, there's enough flexibility in the procedure, the budgetary procedure, that you could wait until after the UK leaves to do that. So you don't have to involve the UK in that particular budgetary negotiation where unanimity is still uh, uh, required in the council. Although it has to be said that this is the last budget under the current financial framework, which means that there is less chance of uh, disruption. The UK has already agreed that the broad uh, ceilings for different parts of payments. But really important, it means that the UK would ideally be out of the EU well before the discussions that will come to a head early next year in 2020 on the next financial framework, which starts from 2021. And that, I think, is where you'll see the next big pressure point, that there's a concern that the UK is now getting to the point where you might start wondering whether it might still be a member past January the 1st, 2021, in which case it will be a member state at the point that the new financial uh, perspective takes effect, in which case, to argue, that it can't be involved in those decisions because, again, sincere cooperation makes that very problematic. So we have, uh, I think, here an effort to try and get through the uh, arrangements are for institutions, for the Parliament, for the Commission, 
without getting into the finances too much and enough that you can have another extension without running immediately into this problem uh, that will come uh, forward. The problem, obviously, is that there is a big question mark. Actually, there isn't really, but there is a big question mark about whether the six and a half months is enough time for the UK to change where it's at. Uh, and it's not really a question because right now you have to imagine that that doesn't look very likely. Just to, to paint a picture, you can just about manage a referendum by the end of October if you wanted to, but you need to start now. Uh, the minimum period, uh, the, the absolute minimum period with everything running smoothly is 22 weeks uh, from a standing start to the day of a vote. Uh, you will be hard pressed to get that. Uh, a general election is certainly manageable within six and a half months, but probably a general election at this point requires a collapse of the government, which means you have to find a way of engineering that. Either the government has to pull the plug itself, which looks very unlikely, or uh, you have to have enough uh, MPs rebel against uh, the government to make a motion of no confidence uh, stick. Now, logically, the only way that that's going to happen is if enough uh, Tory backbenchers are so unhappy about this long extension or medium extension uh, and the participation in the European elections that they make it known that they will vote against the government in a motion of no confidence, that that happens. Uh, they make their price for uh, supporting the government, uh, the appointment of a new leader. Uh, Theresa May steps down. You have another vote of confidence, which reaffirms that the government does have a majority, which is what happens under the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. And then we run into uh, a leadership contest, which, depending on how you do it, uh, could be done within a number of months. Uh, and then you run straight into a general election, probably. All of those things are possible. Whether they are likely is really unclear. To take the most immediate issue, Parliament is probably just about to stop sitting over Easter because the Easter recess starts this afternoon. Uh, so uh, all of the pressure to try and get indicative votes, uh, to get something from Labour, uh, those talks seem to have stalled. We're waiting, really, I think, for yesterday's uh, outcome. All of that is really, uh, I think, uh, not likely to come to any uh, conclusion other than everyone needs a holiday, uh, they need to regroup, uh, they need to recharge, uh, and then come back at it uh, after the Easter break. Now, that's entirely understandable, uh, but uh, it's not necessarily very productive. And certainly when you have Theresa May saying that they need to make sure, we need to make sure that this is something that carries uh, through to uh, a conclusion sooner rather than later, uh, that doesn't really fit then with having an Easter recess where, uh, by definition, Parliament will not be able to make any decisions because Parliament will not be sitting. All in all then, uh, we have a situation where we've got out of one looming deadline. Uh, remember, this was a decision that was reached about 45 hours before the UK was due to leave. 
but which does nothing to change the basic parameters of the situation in a way that might force a change that might produce a resolution of the situation, either in time for an exit uh, by the 22nd of May, which is when Theresa May would have liked to have uh, gone, and she claims that she still she can. And theoretically, that's possible, although very difficult, especially with a recess uh, in mind. Uh, whether it's uh, in the end of June, which is another date I was talking about, or even at the end of uh, October. So really what I think we've got here is a demonstration by all concerned that uh, Brexit is complicated, that Brexit is something that cannot be allowed to result in a no-deal outcome, but which nobody has a good way of unpicking uh, to get to a resolution uh, right now. And I think that's the crucial point. The compromises that the European Council has put together are ones that make life more complicated rather than less complicated. Uh, the step back from asking the UK for a plan is, I think, important. Uh, but quite how it's important, I think, remains to be seen. And I think we need to see more of the briefings that come through in the next days from various European capitals. And we need to uh, recognise that the UK still doesn't look like it's any closer to a resolution on this. So, lots to chew over, lots for us all to think about. Uh, I don't know what my Easter looks like yet, but I'm sure that we'll be talking again soon. Uh, maybe I'll find something that uh, helps us understand a bit more. And when I do, I will tell you all about it, and we will all be much uh, improved for knowing that. Until then, have a great Thursday, and we will talk soon. <laughs>